The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our reading this morning is from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Appreciate that. Well, sorry for for a couple of the technical difficulties this morning, but we carry on, and God's worship does, as we... uh, talk about, as we have, welcome, my name is Stacy Croft, if I haven't met you, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church on Music Row, and uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Uh, we have a reception, usually it's outside, uh, I think depending on whether it rains or not, maybe right next door, uh, just to keep us out of it, can you, can you imagine me actually saying whether it rains or not, uh, it hasn't rained in so long, everything's brown, not from fall, but from heat uh, in October, it's kind of crazy. You know, one of the things I love doing in our church, and we talk about uh, membership and questions and joining, and uh, I really encourage you to come to those desserts or CPC 101, even if you're not planning on joining yet, you just are curious, is when Jordan Bear, our uh, kids director here, and I get to actually interview kids for membership. That's one of my very favorite things. And um, most of the time, I get to just sit there and um, listen to Jordan, does most, if not all, of the interview. Uh, I'm there just to... Uh, if there are any questions, is if I know all the answers to everything. But, um, and sometimes I get amazing questions. And one of the things that Jordan does so beautifully, uh, if you have never gotten a chance to work with her over here or watch her with the kids in our church or learn, we should all learn from her in a lot of ways about how she cares for the kids because she often just talks to our kids and when I say our, not just those who have kids here, ours meaning they're a part of our church, just as like us. She talks to them like people. 
And uh, when she talks to them in the interview, she kind of works through a series of questions and, and helps them. And by the time that she gets to the end uh, of talking about what does it mean to be a member of a church, what does it mean to like actually be a part of our church? She says, what, she always asks the question, hey, what's it like to be a member of your family? Like, what are things you have to do, right? And usually there are these questions, you know, it could be funny, like, you know, be nice to my brother or sister or listen to my mom and dad. But they also say things like, hey, we got we to gotta do chores sometimes. Like, sometimes my mom or dad asks me to pick up things in my room. You know, they always say it in that kind of, like, tone. <laughs> and um, Jordan's so great. She's like, yes, exactly. And to the degree of what that's like in your house, this is the way Jordan says it, uh, is the same way we talk about church. That, that we're a church family and that there are parts of our church in ways that we get to jump in and work together to serve everyone in our church, to be a part of it. And it's such a beautiful picture to me uh, and such a simple one of the parallel of serving in the church and serving in our homes or in our work or wherever we would consider that work or, or a vocation. Because that's what we're talking about this morning. We've been talking for the last four weeks about our vision and what a vision is for our church. It's not, again, it's not that we're using any words that are like out of sight or anything, but we want a simple, clear vision of where are we going as a church? What, what does it look like for take, to take the mission of Christ Presbyterian Church, that is, to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life? What does that look like in the way that we worship, in the way that we connect, in the way that we serve? And now we're talking about serving. It'd be easy for me to stand up here and say, you got to get in the church and serve, you know? Uh, there's the ask, yes. But, but, but it's kind of obvious. I mean, I wouldn't even be able to stand up here right now have we not had people in multiple areas setting up, um, a- allowing us to actually worship together, sometimes us just coming in the doors because people are serving in that way. But what I actually want to throw out to you is that there's a parallel, that serving in the church isn't better or greater or mer- more purposeful than the way you serve when you wake up tomorrow and scrub in. Or the way you wake up tomorrow and you are getting your kids ready and it's a chaotic house. Or the way you uh, get up or leave these doors and are preparing for, you know, your Monday through whatever, you know, Saturday maybe, even for some of you job. That serving is a parallel. And, and, And that's what we see in this passage itself, that it carries the same thing. In fact, the Hebrew translation for work is actually one that comes out in, in two other ways, worship and serve. So I want to submit to you this morning as we look at uh, this passage that it's not just two different things. There's not just the church service and then serving out in the city, that kind of thing. It's how are we actually just taking on the character of God, it's this simple, and just living it out, living it in here, and out there, just as our kids answer that question, hey, there are chores in the church and there are chores outside the church, and we got to do them both, right? And we all are in this together. We're going to look at this passage in, uh, there are kind of three parts of it, <clears throat> and we could, man, this is one of those passages you could unpack for like weeks and weeks and weeks. But what I want us to look at particularly this morning is that serving and, and working is a, first a relationship. It's not just a doing, it's a being. Second, that there's serving a character. There's a serving character that we take on. 
And finally, that we're serving as a sign for what's to come, a sign of what's ahead of us. So, serving the relationship, that is, right at the beginning, when the Bible begins, this is the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 26, just in the same chapter, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God is showing himself as a worker. He's showing himself as someone who's creating, right? As a beautiful artist, he's creating a tapestry for us to enjoy. You know, all the, the, you know, fall break, wherever we're going for our fall break, whether it's here somewhere uh, close by to the beach, to the mountains, whatever it is, we're going to enjoy God's artistry. We're also seeing God as an engineer, that He structured this creation in such a way that's so profound. The way it works together, fits together, the way <clears throat> the, 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 the land works and the way that the, the, the trees need rain, the way things work together, it fits beautifully, the way He tends and cares it for it, even now as a, as a custodian. Someone who is not just setting it and stepping back, but someone who cares for it intimately, even as he says in the New Testament. And this is incredibly distinct from other creation accounts. If you, uh, and I even have, I bought this some time ago, a children's book um, on creation stories, because I thought, oh, that's interesting. Uh, so I was like at half price books or something like that, and, and I bought it, and I, was, I still have it in my office, and I, I, I flipped through it, and I remember just seeing, and even the pictures drawn, you know, of different creation accounts in different religions and, and, and uh, across uh, centuries. So the big distinction I noticed in these, and even in the pictorial, you know, design, is that this creation account is different, that it doesn't begin with war. Most creation accounts begin with great chaos and war, and God has to come in as a warrior and subdue and put it down. This shows God coming in and calling things good. Yes, He hovers over chaotic waters, but what He does is it, He He doesn't through war create, make creation. It's through His kindness, through His relationship, through His care. It's very distinct. It's very beautiful. It's key to what this is. Even the language here, he blessed them. Verse 28, right? <clears throat> Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, right? He's given, and then verse 29, behold, I have given you, right? In other words, he trusts them, right? God trusts his creation with what he's made. He's giving it to them to tend and care it because he cares for them. He's in relationship with his people, some time ago, <clears throat> in Richie Sessions, who, <clears throat> excuse me, we were really blessed to have here last week speak, um, took my position, he's in, been in my position for a number of uh, years now at Vanderbilt. And I remember when I was first a campus minister over there uh, many, many years ago and um, at, at Vanderbilt University, and they brought in a speaker to talk about what serving meant, what does it mean to care and serve. And I went, I just thought, it wasn't a Christian thing. It was just some, you know, big idea thing. We, I went, <clears throat> a bunch of students, and um, not just a part of our ministry, but just wanted to hear kind of what, what's the idea of serving, you know. And the conclusion I found fascinating where this professor went was that the, at the end of it all is what we need to do when we serve, we experience this serotonin, this, this exuberance that incites us to do more serving, 
But then the, that's where the lecture stopped. And I thought, man, what if, what if my chemicals are off? <laughs> you know, I, for a moment I thought, okay, I see what you're saying. Chemically, you are providing something that's very scientifically proven. Yeah, there's serotonin in a lot of ways that we engage, things that make joy, happiness. But here's the question. Are we engaging a chemical or is, are we engaging a person in that? Because what if our chemicals are off? What if I find myself wanting to serve, wanting to work, leaving these doors and thinking, uh, many of you, I mean, there are polls that say, I think it's 70 to 80% of people are unhappy with their jobs. I mean, is it a chemical issue to, to approach our work and the places that we serve, not just in a church, but out there in a way that We actually engage it with joy. How do you do that? Is it more chemicals or is it knowing that there's someone else who's faithfully set that up for us? It's it's with the creator himself. See, to be in God's image, as it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, man being man and woman. That is a collective term. What does that mean, that we are in his image? That means that no matter, even if you're here this morning and maybe this Christianity is foreign to you, maybe you're coming back into a church after some time, that that word image means you are still in his image. Even if you don't take that on as your idea. That, the Bible is even speaking to you there. And for those of us here that would say, yeah, I do follow God. I do follow Jesus. I would call myself a Christian. Do we understand that the image of God, what does that mean when we actually have God's image impressed on us? That we get that, that we receive that, that God cares so much for us that He created us in His image to carry that out. And especially if we, if we would say that we follow God, do we know why? It looks, it's one thing for a, a pastor to come up here, and, and I was just, I put on a conference here yesterday for uh, a faith and work conference. Some of you may not know, I'm um, <clears throat> Missy Wallace, who does NIFW, National Institute of Faith and Work partners with us and actually put, uh, 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 submitted my name for a position with uh, a group called Made to Flourish. Some of you may have heard of it. It's a group that helps churches and pastors talk about faith and work. And I helped put on with my uh, cohort, Ronnie Mitchell, uh, a conference here yesterday for six hours right next door, uh, simulcast around the country. And there were about 50 plus people in the room listening to this about what does it mean for us to not just know that we have jobs, but a vocation. Like, what does it mean that we actually have a calling? Because notice, when the Bible begins here, sin and, and what we call sin as, as the mess of work, the difficulty, the, the sweat, the toil of work is not even in the picture here. There's an engagement with work both in relationship with God and just in the rest of the world. There's no, there's no line there. There's no church and then the rest of our work. It's all together. This faithful, synonymous serving and working both in the garden and all around and even in their relationship with God. And, and it was fascinating being at this and hearing these eight different speakers. You can find them online. They're amazing. Um, one of the things that they talked about was that there are lots of people who have jobs, but people who don't understand their vocation. One who even quoted Frederick Nietzsche, who said this, that he who has a why for living can stand almost any how. In other words, if we know why we're living, why we're working, why we're serving, it transforms the how, Right? 
All this getting done, one of the things that you may not know, and if you do serve on a Sunday morning that I send out in an email to all those who care and tend for this. Look, I'm the only one here that actually is considered like a professional Christian, but everybody else here that puts on this service, I can't do this, right? I may get paid to be here and be a part of this, but here's the point. The gospel isn't something that with a price tag. We're all serving together. None of this happens without us doing this together. There's no, there's no inside insider and outsider in this. There's a, a synonymous care here and relationship. Dorothy Sayers said it this way, the intrinsic value, she wrote, she was a great theologian, uh, female theologian, who received incredible awards, by the way, and even in her humility turned many of them down because of her uh, humility of who she was. She said, the intrinsic value of work is not just making money. It's value meaning that we live not for what we do, but we live to do. That we don't put our being after our doing. We don't say, I'm doing, I'm a doing, human doing. <laughs> As my, pa- my friend, Pastor Ronnie Mitchell, who's uh, pastor of a Baptist church in East Nashville, he says, we're not human beings, we're humans becomings. <laughs> we're not just doing human doings either. We're human beings, we're human becomings. There's a relationship that God has with us, his creation. And because of that, that means there's a respect in the way that we care, not just in the church. We don't look at serving and laying, putting out the communion bread and, and wine as greater than faith and more faithful work than leaving these doors and caring for those outside of this. It means, here's the practical aspect of that. It means is there a respect that when you leave here, I mean, majority of your time is spent, and when I say work, by the way, some of you, it doesn't just mean in a cubicle office. It could mean at home. It could mean uh, with your children. I, I consider all sorts of work in that way. When I'm saying working and serving in that aspect, but the question is this, is there a respect? Like, do we expect or we, do we look at those we work around that who may use, maybe there's foul language, maybe there's bad practice. Do we expect them to live in a way or call them to do work, you know, if there's something going on in our business, are we teaching them faithful work or are we trying to teach them, hey, you shouldn't cuss, you shouldn't do this? What are we teaching in the respect? Are we pointing them to a greater image or are we pointing them to ourselves? See, faithful work means there's a parallel of what you do here and then what you carry out because it's not just in this love, this relationship. Imagine God. I mean, imagine being in the garden with God in this time. I mean, can you imagine actually never feeling the anxiety of Monday morning? I mean, seriously, not having the whole, like, look, I'm even thinking right now of what it's like for me Monday morning, maybe even Tuesday, making a lunch, you know, having to go to a meeting, getting in the car, you know, struggling with traffic, dealing with people that are just, just either, whether it's miscommunication or just personality difficulties. (laughs) That wasn't there. And there was always a fulfillment in Adam and Eve of what they were to do in that garden. Can you imagine what that was like? 
See, what, what, what this passage is pointing us to is the fact that there's not just this relationship that we have with God, we need to understand, but there's a character we're taking on because of who we are. Like in, in, in this passage, in 29 to 31, God says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding, and to, you, and to the, every beast of the earth. And God saw that in verse 31. God saw everything that he made, um, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Look, notice what he gives them things, and they aren't spiritual things. What's he doing? He's saying, because you're in my image, you exude my character. It begins with relationship, but then there's this character that they have to take out into the garden, that they're displaying God's character to everything around. Uh, <clears throat> as I was um, looking at this, and, and Shelby Sweet, I always pass my sermon to her to be able to interpret uh, she asked a great question. There's, there's a, 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 a man named Simon of Stylites. I think you said Simon the Elder is another way of saying it. That when he was, um, he was a, a, a man who thought that there was, to, to be holy, to have character like God, you had to separate yourself from the earth. <laughs> and so he actually began to build platforms. Liter- this is literal tangible platforms where he would build and he would live on those and show that he would separate himself from the earth to keep himself holy. And as Shelby was asking me, like, What's the, tell me more about that illustration, because she's having to interpret everything I say, which is so scary um, and sad for her. Uh, but it was such a good, she was the great illustration, because I, I was saying, look, to the degree she, and I, I could sit here and watch her interpret our entire service because it is so meaningful and worshipful to me, But what's beautiful is, you know that when she leaves here Monday to Friday, people are receiving the same faithful character of what she's doing here this morning. She's not separating, okay, on Sunday I've got to really interpret well. I've got to really display. She's showing the same faithful character Monday through Friday in her job where she interprets for many across this city. And here's the thing, that's what we're called to do. Look, it's not just about, hey, take a service position in the church. Okay, yes, what I want is for us to do those kind of things. We wouldn't work without it. But here's the point. That's not the major point. The point is we should be faithful in the way that we display that both in here and outside. We just, it's, just a, it's not a balance. It's a taking on of a character. Look, there's, there's no splitting here in the, in the beginning and this is why I'm harping on this is because this is before all the mess enters, all the brokenness, all the thorns and thistles. And again, what they're doing is displaying just the same character in the garden as they do when they meet with God. That's that. It's that simple. It's beautiful. You know, we just moved into this new space over here. Um, we're going to start having meetings there. We're having our men's uh, Bible study there in the mornings on Wednesdays. Uh, this WeWork, uh, you've heard of WeWork before, it's a, a, a shared work environment. There are actually three in Nashville, they're across the country. And the one here, it's interesting, on the mugs, um, when we got all our stuff, like the first day we moved in on Tuesday, the elevator doors opened and it was like, party. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, welcome to WeWork, you know, it's like, oh God, yes, I'm loved, you know. Um, so they're like balloons and everything. And on all the stuff, what was so interesting, it wasn't just WeWork, it was do what you love. And I think, you know, I, that phrase is, is such a 
turn phrase in our culture about uh, what we do, whether it be work or anything. But there was an article, a couple of them I've read, that if you really dig down in what that phrase means, it it really falls apart quickly. Because if you ask the question, do what you love, and 70 to 80% of the Americans are unhappy with their jobs, something's missing. (laughs) And not everybody gets to do what they love, so is that the point? See, there's actually an article written in Slate Magazine that I loved. It was, it was about this, doing what you love, is a question mark. Listen to what they said. They said, work then, if we do this, becomes divided into two opposing classes. That which is lovable, creative, intellectual, socially prestigious, whatever, whatever label we put on it, and that which is not lovable, repetitive, uh, undistinguished, those type things. So those in the love work camp can vastly be more privileged or, or excel than those who aren't. But think about so many people, and maybe even in this room, who, are, who have taken or are taking jobs that they don't necessarily love, but they have to. Many of us are in that place. And even if we're honest, even the work that we have chosen and we have pursued all our life as a calling fails us miserably, doesn't it? We don't always love our job. If you did, I have to say, sure about that? Everything has thorns and thistles in it. Everything does. See, the point is, do you love what you do? If we move from the relationship first with God, not with our work, not with serving, not with making serving the end-all be-all, to then taking on the character of God to move into it, then the, the... the, the point isn't do what you love, find that thing that can love you back. It's you move into it as loved. As the creator loves you, the one who then goes to create like him. Because isn't that what they're doing? See, God makes them in his image and gives them and instills that pleasure of their work and that love of who he is and that relationship that he has with them. And they go into the garden and then they tend it. They carry that character. And they're not looking to creation in this to fulfill them, to make them something. They're going into it because they are fulfilled, because they know that. See the difference? And that transforms doing what you love. It transforms, I'm loved, so therefore I can love what I do no matter what it is. Because there are oftentimes it doesn't feel that way. It's purposeful based on the one who loves us. Based on that, what we're reflecting. I love how Martin Luther used to say this. Martin Luther, the great uh, reformer of the 16th century, uh, he, um, he actually talked about Christians being profane Christians, <laughs> that we need to be profane. And the word profane came from the Latin profundus, which meant worldly. I mean, he was saying, stop sitting in the, in the temples and in the churches and in the cathedrals. Get in the marketplace. Be faithful in the marketplace. Because it, it, even from those times and even before, the, 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 during the Enlightenment, there was such a split between the sacred and secular. There still is. I mean, I, gosh, I, I, can, I can't count on my hand the number of times people have come into a worship service, whether, whether it's been when I've served in Texas, here, uh, across the street, who want to possibly check their brain at the door when they come into a church. And I don't understand why we do that. It's because we have such instilled in us this separation of, gosh, my Monday to Friday and maybe even Saturday is just separate from my Sunday, but it's not. 
It's not. It's to, it's to drive us out into it. It's to, to show us that. The Hebrew word here for subdue, notice what he tells uh, them to do, <clears throat> right? Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Subdue and dominion. The word subdue in Hebrew is to restrain. It's to actually restrain like a wild animal. It's almost like having a leash on a dog hasn't been trained yet and it just wants to jump on everybody, right? It's, it's, this, it's this restraining. It's this holding back. And notice that's not God doing that. God does it and then he instills it in us to do into his creation, into to, to us, his image, to restrain and subdue creation over the waters. It's the same language used of God over the waters in Genesis 1. When God creates everything, he then gives that to us so that we can leave, not subdue everything in the church, but wouldn't there be chaos? I mean, if we didn't have people running things this morning, wouldn't it, it would just be chaos? That was the question when when, uh, uh, when the president years ago, <clears throat> I can't remember if this is in the 60s or 70s, that they were touring NASA, and he saw a, 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 a custodian working in the, uh, the, the buildings there, and he said, what are you doing? What, what, what are you, what's your job here? What's your role? He said, I launch rockets. Because without him actually taking care, custodian of that facility, it would be a wreck. It would be destroyed, <laughs> disorganized, every little part of it. You know, what we're to subdue and what we're to show in the character is to, in, in our serving, in that language of work and serve and worship, meaning the same thing in Hebrew, means that we're showing worship and serving and restraining the evil and the darkness that is out there. It's the same as we believe in here that the church is manifesting into the kingdom. The, the, the conference that we put on yesterday, the tagline was a church for Monday. I love that, a church for Monday. It's not a separation. It's exactly what, again, Dorothy Sayers, my favorite uh, voice in this, said this about, she used this illustration about pastors. She's making fun of me. She said the church's problem that, that is that I'm often that uh, pastors and are often encouraging their workers, and, like carpenters, not to just get drunk or disorderly in their leisurely hours and to come in church on Sundays. But what we should be doing is encouraging them to make good tables, to be faithful workers, because we're carrying that characteristic out, because we have a God who's made us and who has come to us. And it's a sign for what's to come. Notice verse two, verse 2 of chapter 2. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them, right? But the end of the Bible says this. It starts with a garden, but it ends with a city. It ends with a city of bustling life, jobs, work, serving together. Because Christianity is this. Here's what Christianity is. Christianity isn't about us serving to create redemption. It's us serving in redemption. See, that's why we actually come to this table. This table is a picture of us being served by God himself. See, after the garden, we know that there was a great rift, a great rift in our relationship with God, in the way that our character is, even towards the way we serve and work and worship. 
But what this table shows is the fact that we have a God who actually serves us. Nothing else in all creation tells us that the actual grand master planner of everything around us actually puts himself in a position to be a servant, to give us himself, his body and blood, to show us that his toil is the only one that can reverse the curse. See, our work is actually a sign of what's to come. That's why we always say that we take this in remembrance of what his death, right, until he comes again. See, we're, not, we're a part of this great plan to show that redemption is real, that, that this is true. So we come to this table to take it for, for reasons of knowing and being reminded that we have a servant who serves us. But we also come because you stand next to everybody and you see the eyes of not just me but everyone else serving you and you're reminded that we are faithfully served here and that you go out and you faithfully serve. And you do that in the name of Jesus, in the name that's above all names. And it's above all names not because he was so powerful, not because he did his work in a way that was so beautifully done. It was so faithfully done before his Father for us. That's why we can come to this table, not because we're great workers, but because we serve a great worker. We're about to recite a creed in a minute. It's ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed. Um, it's a amazing, very ancient creed written years ago. And I want you to see as we read it how we're reading the work of Jesus Christ, the work as he serves. Notice that, synonymous. His work and serving us as his name, even the suffering servant, is one and the same. As we read the language together, take in the work and of the suffering servant for you. Let's stand together and read this.